Today's passage is from John 14, 15 through 31. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. Before we dive into the word, we are desperate for this very spirit that that we've been singing about, that Tim read about, to come and dwell within us and bring the word alive. So let's pray and invite the spirit one more time to breathe life. Father, we want to see you. That's what Philip said. How do I see the Father? Show us the Father. We want to see you today. We want to know our way to you. We want to know Jesus. And Jesus answered this prayer before we were even born, before we even asked it. He answered it by dying on a cross and rising from the dead in order to send his spirit to live in us. That by Him, your Holy Spirit, we, God, would know and understand all these things. If there is anyone here in this room this morning 
who is overwhelmed with life, who feels lost and confused, who feels ashamed and ignorant and just wants to know that you are near. Show us, God, that you are near by your Spirit in this very word, according to the power of Christ and his blood at work in us. Amen. With as many children as we have at Redemption City Church, you mostly are probably familiar with that first experience of dropping your child off with a new caretaker. It might be in the nursery or Sunday school or maybe that first time that you and your spouse go on a a weekend trip away and you got to leave the kid with grandpa or grandma. And you try to explain to your child to prepare him what's going to happen, but he didn't really understand. You tried to tell him that you're going away, but he doesn't know what going away means. He doesn't have a concept of that. His entire life has been with you. And then the time comes to hand him off, and you walk out the door, and the kid goes berserk. I think I saw it even this morning in the nursery. The little child loses it. Suddenly, you're gone. Everything he knows that's been comforting to him is missing. Why didn't you explain this to the child? Well, of course you did. You did say you'd come back. You did say there's all kinds of fun to be had in this new experience. You did tell him that there are other delightful, trustworthy people out there that will care for him. But none of that made sense because he doesn't have a category yet for mom and dad leaving and coming back. He doesn't know other people's comforts yet. He doesn't know that there's joy apart from mom and dad. But you still do it. You still put him through this hard thing because you know it's good for him. It's part of maturing him, teaching him to handle a big world apart from you. You're training him in these small ways to face little challenges with you near, knowing you'll come back soon, teaching them so that in the future, they'll be able to handle much bigger challenges apart from you, not with you near, but at least your truth within him. In fact, we pray that all of our children will eventually realize the truth that the comfort that they long for isn't mom or dad, but a deeper, greater love at work in us. That's Jesus' lesson for his own disciples today in this text. Since arriving in Jerusalem, the disciples have had one idea in mind of what's going to happen, but Jesus has been telling the disciples some really crazy things that have been challenging them. He shows up in chapter 12, riding into town on a donkey like a king full of fanfare. And he tells them, Jesus tells them that there's the glory of God is going to come upon them. But they won't be able to see it. And then in chapter 13, he has a meal with his disciples. And, and he does this really weird thing. He dresses like a Gentile slave and washes their feet. These aren't the categories that they can process these things with. And he tells them the whole time, I'm going to be leaving you. In fact, I'm going to die. Even worse, one of you is going to betray me. 
None of this is making any sense. He tried to explain them at the beginning of chapter 14 now that all of this is being done for their good. But they are just utterly confused. All they can hear is, Jesus is leaving? They can't handle it. He's been their only comfort for three years. Like little children, they're asking a bunch of nonsensical questions. But he keeps giving them the same assurance over and over. And now he explains even further why it is better that he goes away. Calling them now to walk in obedience by the Spirit of Christ. Walk in obedience by his Spirit. They're not really going to understand that still for a few more weeks. But even thousands of years later, we are still confused about what it means to live by the Spirit. Today, we think of God's Spirit as this impersonal, impersonal, invisible force. And we think we know that the Spirit is at work when we see these displays of power, miraculous displays of that force, like healings and strange languages and supernatural signs and special secret insights. But Jesus clarifies here what the Spirit does. He helps his disciples walk in obedience to display his love and proclaim his truth. This is what we're seeking to understand in this text today. We walk in obedience by the Spirit of Christ who helps us display God's love and proclaim Christ's truth. Display God's love in verses 15 to 21 and proclaim Christ's truth in verses 22 to 34, 31. So let's begin our Spirit-enabled walk of obedience, looking at how the Spirit helps us display God's love. Let's read again in verses 15 through 21. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments keeps them and keeps them. He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father And I will love him and manifest myself to him. So it's important to remember as we read this text that Jesus is still answering Philip's last question about seeing the Father. Show us. How can we see the Father? Show us. And he's seeking clarity on Thomas's previous question on how to get to the Father. We want to make our way to Father's house. How do we get there? Because they feel like they're being dropped off in the middle of the wilderness and expected to find their way back. Aren't you going to help us get there, Jesus? How do we know which way to go? How do we know when we're there? How will we see the Father and say, oh yeah, this is where we belong? The, The answer to all these questions has been so simple. Jesus says, trust me, look at me, keep your eyes on me. He is the answer to all of the questions. In the previous few verses that Jake preached on last week, Jesus had explained to the disciples that if they trust him, what he's been saying, they're going to do greater works than even he does. That just seemed absurd. 
How are they going to accomplish that stuff, especially apart from him? But he explains to them in verses 13 and 14, all you need to do is ask. Tell my kids this all the time. I can't do that, dad. Just ask and I will be delighted to help you. Jesus says, ask and I will provide help. In their fear, they just keep overcomplicating things. The, the big situations are much scarier than they really are. They seem that way. It's really as simple as just keep the commandments, he says in verse 15. All of this fear can be taken care of by love and truth. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and then you're going to do great things. So the greater things Jesus was talking about aren't greater, more powerful miracles, cooler tricks. He has in mind continuing to fulfill redemptive history, to restore image bearers to faithful reflection of God's glory in all the earth. That's what he's calling his disciples to do. So this whatever you ask doesn't mean whatever I want. But it's related to asking for help to fulfill that mission, which is going to be accomplished by God's Holy Spirit. The disciples are afraid that Jesus is leaving, but he's going to give them something better. Not just Jesus with them, among them, but in them. And this doesn't really make any sense to them, because how could Jesus live in them? And how... They, they don't really have a concept of the Spirit working like this. They can't see the Spirit, he says. That's not just because he's invisible and they can't see him with their physical eyes, but the Spirit, they are, they are spiritually blind. Even if the Spirit was working in front of them, they wouldn't know it. He could be right next to them, and they wouldn't realize it. But Jesus says in verse 17 that they do know him, that he is with them. The Spirit dwells with them right now. How is that possible? That they can know the Spirit without realizing it? Well, this has been happening throughout all of history. The old, entire Old Testament is filled with stories of God's Spirit working with His people. But it's always been with them, not in them. The Spirit of God hovered over the water in creation in Genesis 1. And he pulled humanity out of that water to rule over it and that he could live with them in the garden. The Spirit of God was also with Noah in the ark. Noah sends the Spirit out as a dove to go bring back life and recede, pull the waters back so they can live together. The Spirit of God was with Israel as a pillar of fire through the Red Sea blowing that east wind so the water would pull to the side and they would be born out of that water, a new people, to dwell with God's Spirit in a tabernacle right in their midst. And then they get to Jerusalem and they build a temple there. The Spirit of God permanently, so they think, right there in the middle of their nation. Sometimes, very rarely, the Spirit of God would come upon people like David Gideon, Samson, in order to help them win great battles, but it wasn't, it was temporary. He would go away, especially he would go away if they sinned. Like when David sinned with Bathsheba and he cried out 
in repentance in Psalm 51, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I won't be able to obey if your spirit's not with me. And sadly, the story of that sin grows. The sin becomes so common in Israel that Ezekiel watches the spirit lift from the temple and depart, never to return. But now, at this moment with his disciples, Jesus said the spirit of God is with them. How is that possible? Where is the spirit? He's not in the temple. He's right here with them in Jesus. They know the spirit because they know Jesus, who is full of his spirit. As Jesus said before, if you see me, you've seen the father. Likewise, he's saying here, if you know me, you know the spirit. But Jesus is promising more than that. Not just the spirit will live with you temporarily, but in you forever. Jesus came to bring that spirit into his followers. The disciples are so scared they're going to lose Jesus. But it's actually better for them because while they are losing him in one sense, they are gaining him in an even greater way. The spirit of Christ won't be in them and just with them in just one particular person on this planet, but in all the people who believe in him, in themselves even. Well, how is that going to happen? Jesus explains in verses 18 and 19. He's leaving, but not leaving them as orphans. He's like that caring father who says, I'll be right back. You're going to be okay. It's a little scary, but I'm coming back and you'll be stronger for it. Specifically, he's speaking of his death and resurrection. In order to get that spirit, he needs to go away into the grave, but he will return in his resurrection. The world won't see him anymore because they think they killed him. They've buried him. His body is dead. It's in the tomb. We're done with that crazy prophet, but he'll rise from the dead and show himself to his followers they will see it. They will be revived. They will have new life. And the world around them will continue to deny it, denying the obvious reality of his resurrection, suppressing the truth. But here's the goal of this death and resurrection in the end of verse 19 and through the rest of this first section. Because Jesus will live, because he rises from the dead, you also will live, he tells them. Jesus rose from the dead, not just so you could live with some personal autonomy. Finally, I don't have to worry about going to hell. He rose from the dead so that you could live the same way he lived, in obedience by the Spirit, for him, in him, through him. On that day that Jesus rises from the dead, he says in verse 20, that they will have all their questions answered. They'll understand that he and the Father are one. This is the goal. In the past, God had done some pretty incredible things by his spirit, coming upon like prophets who even raised people from the dead at times. But now, Jesus doesn't need a spirit-empowered prophet to raise him from the dead. Because the spirit of the father is already in him. The father will raise Jesus without any human intervention. Because the father and the son are one by the spirit. 
That will become obvious in his resurrection. But more than just a display of power, Jesus says this death and resurrection brings his disciples into unity with him. You in me and I in you. How is that possible? What does he mean? Well, by his spirit. The Father is in the Son, and the Son is in the Father by the eternal Spirit that they have shared forever in their triune nature. And by the death and resurrection of Jesus, those who believe in Jesus get to partake in that nature, in that love. Here it appears that Jesus has stopped talking about the Spirit, and he's now talking more about love. He uses the word love six times in these next three verses. But he hasn't stopped talking about the Spirit. Now he's just focusing on what the Spirit has been doing forever, pulling people together into love, pulling the persons of Father and Son together in love, in perfect unity. So he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He's not saying that you earn Christ's love by keeping his commandments. He's not trying to manipulate obedience by saying, you know, if you really loved me, then you would do what I like. That's what abusers say. Jesus is telling them that when his love is in you, His Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. And then when His Holy Spirit's in you, you live a life of obedience because the eternal God of love and righteousness dwells in you and guides your will and makes you obedient. You love Jesus, and then Jesus loves the Father, and then the Father sends that love all the way back around to you, just like He's been doing for all eternity, but now you're included. Spirit, Spirit, send from in this big circle between father and son now including his disciples this is how jesus is made known he says he will manifest himself he said at the end of chapter 13 by this all people will know that you are my disciples by your love if you have love for one another because that very love that he's speaking about is his own spirit working in his disciples. If you see that love at work, you see Jesus. You are displaying God's love to one another. Love has always been what the commandments were all about. Jesus reminded, at one point, reminded his disciples that the law of Moses is primarily about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Being drawn into that love. And out of the overflow of that, you love others, just like Father and Son and Spirit have loved each other for eternity, and there's so much love, it overflowed into creation. Now, you are drawn into that love with God so you can love others. But nobody could do it. The whole first three quarters of this book is people struggling to obey those commands because they don't have the love within them. But now by the death and resurrection of the Son of God, that Spirit, His own Spirit, is able to dwell in us so that we can display God's love. He saves you in order to send you into the world 
so that by his spirit, we can be together in obedient display of God's love. This is incredible stuff. It's big. It's more powerful than just speaking a new language. This is overcoming the world, but the disciples still don't get it. And so another Judas speaks up, not the one that betrayed him. The name Judas is just the Greek way of saying Judah, very common name. Judas understands that Jesus is speaking of some important work here, but still can't comprehend what it is. Still doesn't know why it's better that Jesus leaves. So let's continue in the text to see how Jesus now enables them by his spirit to proclaim his truth. Pick back up in verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, but as I gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise and let us go from here. So the disciples are confused because they think <clears throat> Jesus has come to start a revolution to overthrow the Romans. And if that's going to happen, it's going to be quite obvious to the world who Jesus is, right? So why, how are they not going to be able to see you when you do this thing? But Jesus is trying to get them to understand that his kingdom is coming in a different way, not by the sword but by spirit-filled communities of love who proclaim his truth. The emphasis of the spirit here in this section now switches from the spirit's work of drawing us into God's love to the spirit's work of proclaiming his truth. Both of them relate to obedience. You can't truly obey unless you love the person who's giving the commands because I want to obey. And you can't, Obey if you don't understand what the commands are. You need to understand his words. So it all fits together. And Jesus makes the connection in verse 23, tweaking what he's already said multiple times. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. You can see Jesus in this world by his love and his word. When love and truth come together, there is where he dwells with his father. He says that the Father and he will come and dwell with them. Well, share a room with them. At the end of verse 23, the word for home is the same word in verse 2 
that Jesus said he was going to his father's house that has many rooms. So Jesus is going away to his grave and rising from the dead to prepare a room for you to dwell with him and the father by the love of the spirit. And the disciples think, and we often think, that that's somewhere far away, like in outer space or something. We, we kind of just look up and say, he went way out there, and there's a place out there where we're going to dwell with the Father. But what Jesus is saying is, he's working to bring that place here with us. So in answer to Judas's question, Jesus will be made visible made manifest in this world by his spirit working this same love and speaking his same words here among his unified people. That's where God dwells. So many people want to define love apart from God's word. Love is just whatever I want, whatever makes me feel good, whoever affirms me, whatever satisfies my passions. But they need, that needs to be guided by God's word. When those two things go together, those things can only be together by God's spirit, by experiencing God dwelling with us, in us. Now Jesus is empowering his people to create these communities of God's love and truth. Remember, in chapter 13, verse 20, Jesus said, whoever receives me, receives the one I send, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives the Father. There's kind of this chain. If you listen to my disciples, you are receiving my words. And then you receive my words, you're receiving the Father's words. And now he's going away, sending his disciples to continue his great work of multiplying and filling the earth. Something started in Genesis been impossible for anyone to accomplish. And now they are supposed to do it and they feel completely unequipped for it. Sure, Jesus spent three solid years teaching them, modeling how they're supposed to do this. But what if they forget? Jesus, he's just so much more eloquent. He's got all this power to back up his words. His knowledge of scripture is far greater do any of you feel that same way? You're called to do this great thing, and you're like, I, who am I? I don't have anything. What, what do I have to accomplish this? Well, Jesus is saying here in verse 26, the Spirit will teach them everything they need to know. He'll remind them of all that Jesus taught. And this is what the people of God should be known for by their Christ-like love for one another and their knowledge of, their adherence to Scripture. That's what happens when the Spirit comes to life in you. The Spirit isn't particularly concerned with mystical prophecy and speaking in tongues and, and healing people and dramatic displays, but building these communities who love and talk like Jesus. But Judas is right that there is going to be a battle. There will be a fight, but they're not to use their swords. It will be fought with words. He's not saying don't fight, but fight with words of truth. Fight with hearts at peace with God, which Jesus is going to give in verse 27. 
Another fatherly comfort to his childlike disciples who are anxious about what's to come. You're not going to give us weapons for this battle? Just words? Like children, they hear he's going away and their minds are going crazy with how terrible it's going to be. Play these worst case scenario games in our minds. But his spirit will give them peace. Not a peace like the world gives, he says. They lived in a time of peace unknown in history until that point, called Pax Romana, Roman peace. Augustus Caesar had traveled around much of the known world and brought many nations together under one rule. They had common laws, common language, common currency, and roads connecting all these places so you could travel all over the place freely. And it brought much prosperity like never before in the world. It was a time of great peace, but it was accomplished with a sword. Caesar went around with large, well-trained armies and forced people, crushed the spirit of these smaller nations until they agreed to submit to Rome. Sure, you have freedom to move about the empire, but don't question Rome. Caesar is Lord. If you deny it, you will be killed. How's that for peace? That's not the peace that the Lord Jesus gives. He gives his peace by love and truth, by dying to take Rome's wrath, God's wrath, upon himself to bear the sins of those who believe. And he rose from the dead to give life and peace by his spirit so that those who trust in him can love and teach his truth like he does to convince hearts and minds to surrender peacefully because of his love. In verse 28, he again reiterates that it's vital for him to sit at the Father's right hand to accomplish this plan. It's far better for him to go to the throne above all things, to establish he is the ruler over everything. Caesar claims he is Lord. Jesus sits on the throne in heaven at his Father's right hand. And Caesar and Rome will be subdued by his love and his truth. Jesus has more command from heaven than he would and in this weak flesh on earth. From his throne in heaven, he commands spiritual armies to come along your side and help you. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them yet, but this is big. And they will understand. He's telling them now so that when these battles come, they will remember these words and trust him. It's important to learn these lessons before the temptations come, before the world attacks you, before your trials come, to know God is good. He is sovereign. The Spirit lives in me. Jesus promises victory. He reigns above all things. Remind yourself those things over and over so that when you face the battles in this world, you don't need to resort to worldly ways of fighting. But you return and fight back with a community of love and truth empowered by His Spirit. Jesus gives us the guarantee of that in the final two verses it's now time to make his way towards the cross. He says, rise and let us go. Let us be on our way. They're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane next, where he'll be arrested, taken 
to a fake trial and executed. But he wants them to know when, as all of this happens, he is in complete control over it. The ruler of this world is coming. That's Satan at work through the worldly rulers. And he's coming to arrest him. But neither the world rulers nor Satan has a claim on him, has authority over him. They don't control him. They don't call the shots. They don't pull the strings. All of it is happening according to God's plan. Jesus is doing just as the Father commanded. And through his death and resurrection, he, by his Spirit, enables you to do just as he commanded. So that as Jesus is obedient to the Father, you can be obedient to Jesus. These are amazing promises. How many of you feel like, feel overwhelmed like these disciples when you hear God's high expectations on your life? How many of you feel overwhelmed when you see this monumental worldwide mission task? How many of you feel overwhelmed when you look around just even in this room and it looks like everybody else has it together? They're all so loving. They're all so patient and kind. They're all so smart. They know their Bible so much better. And you just feel full of shame and ignorance. You feel like you need so much help for your chaotic life. These promises are for you. Giving you his spirit has been God's plan from the beginning. That's why, how John has framed this entire gospel. He said, He's writing these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the theme of this gospel. New birth, being born again to new creation life in Christ. It's a new kind of genesis. Just like in the beginning, God made Adam from dirt and breathed the breath of life into him. Told him, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over it. Adam and Eve fell into corruption. They brought the world into corruption. Jesus has come to start a new creation. He's a new man to put the old creation to death by his death, to begin a new creation by his resurrection. And he calls you out of the dirt of your shame and your sorrow and your guilt, all of your sin, to rise with him and be reborn to a new life. And he breathes in you, just like he did Adam, breathes his spirit into you. The word spirit and breath are the same word. He breathes his spirit so you may live for him. And he gives this new creation humanity a new creation mandate. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me. Matthew 28, 18. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, be fruitful and multiply spiritually. Subdue the whole earth under Christ's authority, and he'll be with you by his spirit to make it happen. That is what all of you were made for. And it's done in the same two ways, baptizing is immersing people into the righteous love of Jesus that he's shared with his spirit. Immerse them into the nature of Father, Son, and Spirit. 
Immerse them into the fellowship of believers in the church. Immerse them in the love of God. Immerse them in the rebirth of the Spirit by Christ's death and resurrection. And then as spiritual newborn babies, we need to be taught. We need to grow up in maturity to learn how to speak his words. We'll feel confused by life the way the disciples did. We need teaching to know and remember his words. But he gives us his spirit to help us learn and speak the truth. He gives us the power of his authority to fight all of our battles with his word. Paul said the same things to the Ephesians when he called them to be a community, a unified community by speaking the truth in love filled with his spirit. Jesus gives us his spirit to unify us into the kind of people who speak truth in love. If you want to fight the battles of today and find victory over sin and temptation and fear, if you want to see your family know Jesus and be saved, if you want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth and trust Jesus by his spirit in a community that displays God's love and proclaims his truth. Display that love by encouraging one another and bearing one another's weaknesses. Teach one another to be obedient to Christ's words. If you feel ashamed or afraid that you can't do it, that you're not smart enough, tell that lie to go away because the Spirit of God has been given to you to help you know His words, to help you understand when you're confused. Trust that He delights to answer that prayer because He saved you in order to fill you with His Spirit that you may walk in obedience by that Spirit. Let's pray. God, thank you for your spirit present, not just with us, but in us, because the blood of Jesus has washed us. By faith, we rise from the grave with him and walk in newness of life by the breath of the spirit of Christ alive in us. If there's anybody who has not been raised from spiritual death and given the breath of the spirit's life, Would you raise them now? Would you bring that life to them now? Help them see your spirit working right now in the love and the truth that's being modeled and proclaimed right now. And send us out of here, God, that we may continue the work of Christ and do these greater things, seeing all things being brought into submission under the reign of our Lord Jesus who sits on his throne in heaven. Amen.